We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which we record from today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. I also pay my respects to the elders past and present. I extend that respect to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Source, a new podcast from Cappy, where hosts Emma Evans and Thurman Wise get to the source of our daily rituals, speaking with entrepreneurs that are changing the face of our day-to-day. From making our bed to a glass of wine and everything in between, we give you a peek into the leaders making our daily rituals serve us better, support our communities and bring positive change to our surroundings. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the seventh episode of season two of The Source. As always, myself, Thurman. And Emma. Thurman, you're coming to us from LA. Yes, I am in my friend's music bunker in Los Angeles, which is pretty exciting. Like a bunker, Kathy. We had bunkers with Flex. You've got a bunker today. This one's a different vibe, but still a bunker. Okay. And Emma, you are about to take off. I am. Very excited that I'm heading on annual leave tomorrow to Thailand for two weeks. And I think it just sometimes naturally happens where the week before you go on leave, everything just feels like it amplifies and you just get that feeling on that last day of like, I'm so ready for this. So that's how I'm feeling. (laughs) Well, I'm coming back with quite the tan. So you've got some work to do. Okay. And For today, we've got a really, really amazing, amazing guest. His name is Lowell Hunter, also known as the Salty One, an incredible award-winning Indigenous artist from Australia. And yeah, so, so excited to have a conversation with him and hear a bit more about what he does. Uh, Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm really delighted to be here and I can't wait to to get yarning, as we'd say. (laughs) What is that? Yarning? Yarning. Yarning? Like talking, conversing. To have a yarn, like a chat. Talk, yeah. Have a yarn. Yeah. Have a chat. <laughs> thank, you. thank you for the Australian to American translation. For some of our guests that might not be familiar with your work, would you mind giving a little bit of an introduction as to who you are, what you do? Yeah, sure. So, uh, I'm a Nyungyul saltwater man, first and foremost. So, my uh, people... And my connection to Indigenous Australia comes from the western part and just above a place called Broome in WA, my people come from a region just around Beagle Bay. So it's about an hour and a half drive north of Broome and that's where my connections lie as an Indigenous Australian. And also on my father's side, I have uh, connections to England, Austria and Germany. So quite um, mixed, but throughout my life, I guess I'd identify strongly as an Indigenous Australian that, yeah, loves connecting to country and culture and probably in the most recent last few years has really found a sense of belonging and and purpose in creating art. Uh, And that's been on beaches across mainly the Victorian coastline and now across Australia. And I guess like in that piece of connection to culture and, and to lands and now art, is that something that you've been, that's always been there for you, like ever since you were, were young, or is it something that's kind of 
at least the ex- the artistic expression of it been more recent? No, I think as I've reflected on it over the you know, last few years, you know, thinking where has this creativity come from? Where, you know, why now? Um, I look back at the very beginning of my life and uh, as a young, you know, toddler um, growing up in remote parts of Western Australia, particularly in the Kimberley region on the coast of where our people come from on the Dampier Peninsula. Uh, those early memories of growing up with my mother, you know, were just me being on this on a beach and it was pretty crazy. Like there's nothing else around, you know, you have to drive a couple of hours and back before the roads were sealed, it was even longer. And that were just my, you know, early memories of growing up. And I think from that very beginning, and I've actually tuned into one of your recent podcasts where you spoke with Elise Pioch around that emotional geography and I resonated with that strongly because those learnings and what I grew up with and what I had as a young person obviously has stayed with me for a very long time. So being connected to country and having a relationship with salt water in particular has been a big part of my journey and I've always found myself living and, and being near the ocean like it's just been this constant thing and it's only probably been in the last probably five, six years where I've, you know, really started to slow down as a person and think about, you know, what's important and what I need in my life. And the one thing that's uh, always stuck with me is just having the ocean uh, in my life. And I guess that's probably what's drawn me to getting into the creative world of creating sand art and that's what I do now as a full-time artist. And your type of art is very unique. As you just said, sand art. Some people may have never heard of that. And I thought it was pretty amazing in preparing for today, you know, trying to understand how you create that art and then how you capture that art. As you can tell, I'm trying to not give it away. What led you to think of that versus picking up, I guess, canvas and just painting simply and could you explain how you go about your sand art for our listeners yeah sure i haven't really been exposed to painting as such you know throughout my life so it probably wouldn't have been a natural progression for me to get into that area of you know creative arts where i've danced traditionally for most of my life so as a dancer again you know spending a lot of time with Aboriginal people and community and listening to stories and, and dancing out stories in a, in a traditional and contemporary sense has been yeah amazing um, part of my journey and something that I've loved so much about just that expression and creativity and connectedness that we've had with each other, with our elders passing on that knowledge, but then also, you know, learning about that relationship that we have with country and that it's all interconnected like there's so much about, you know, when we look at Aboriginal way of life, it seems like this, for me, this seamless connection that we have, like from who we are to the relationship that we have with the environment, the land, the wildlife, you know, the flora and fauna, it's, everything is just, there's a place for everything. You know, you have a role in what you do and that's always been a big part of my life. So. Yeah, over the years, I've just always had that with me. You know, I've been able to perform uh, locally. I've been able to go into state and connect with other Aboriginal groups and communities and, and dance together. And then I've been able to take, you know, our culture overseas. So going over to Africa, 
going to China twice and performing over there, going over to New Zealand and then most recently showcasing Indigenous arts and culture in New York. So it's been something that I've constantly had in my life that I've always been able to tap into, you know, this wealth of knowledge and just this way of living. And I think that's really driven me to just be this person that values all those things in their life. And then I also run a, an Aboriginal consultancy business where we work with organisations and businesses on looking at where they are at in terms of their engagement with the Aboriginal communities. And, you know, it might be how can they best engage with some of their customers or maybe it's from a service provision point of view where they want to, you know, deliver better services to Aboriginal communities. So doing that work over the past five, six years has got me to think about, you know, we talk a lot about cultural safety and what does it mean to be safe in some of those environments and businesses. And for an example, you know, looking at, you know, the AFL and how it treats, you know, some of the Indigenous players within, you know, the work that they do and the, the game that they play. So I had really sort of reflected on that, you know, what does it mean to be culturally safe? And sometimes I struggled with that concept of going into those places and feeling like I needed to be safe, where it should be just a given. And so for, for me, after one particular session that I delivered with an organisation, I was left sort of thinking, you know, what does it mean for me to be safe in this world that we live in? Because there's been times where I've been racially vilified at school. I've been racially vilified as an apprentice plasterer on construction sites working, you know, as a young apprentice. I've been racially vilified playing football three times on the footy field. So I'm constantly being told that I'm not good enough in these environments. And so I know that I'm not safe in this other world. So that got me thinking, and I went down to the beach one afternoon, and I thought, well, this is where I feel safe because I can be myself. There's no fear or judgment on who I am. I can step into, you know, my power as an Indigenous person and I can really own that and embrace it because I know that there aren't going to be, you know, people or outside influences judging me or pointing or picking on me because of who I am. So that's how I stepped into the the world of sand art and it prompted me to create a small circle on the beach down at Bellas Beach on Modern Country that evening and then I sat myself in that circle and actually drew some U-shapes which depicted ancestors and elders and old people and I sat myself in that circle and I said, yeah, this is, you know, this is where I feel strong and proud of who I am. So that's the long answer to, you know, what has drawn me to getting into what I do. And I, I love the fact that, you know, there is this really huge and incredible backstory to what drove me to getting into what I do because some people may not fully understand that. Yeah, you've almost answered my next question about, Often when we're talking to people and they all have such different, I guess, passions or businesses or creative outlets, like I, we're always asking them, you know, what rituals or how do you get in the zone? But I guess for you, knowing that you feel safe, it must be kind of liberating, but also then allow like any emotion to just translate into the art. Yeah, I feel like when I'm out there creating, I'm just in a different zone. Like I can detach from this world that, I often think it really doesn't serve us as human beings to some extent because it's, you know, 
why should we feel like we're on a grind 24-7 and we're having to devote so much time and energy to things that, yes, to an extent that they serve us, but ultimately, you know, we're just a number. I feel like, you know, I've been in, in jobs and even just living in society, I feel, often feel like we're just, you know, a number and, you know, that isn't a healthy place to be in and that can obviously be detrimental to our well-being, our mental health and affects us on a day-to-day, you know, level. So when I get out into this, you know, space where there is no one around, at least I try to go to places where there's not going to be anyone, I don't come into contact with anyone, it can just be me and country as we explain it to be and most of the time I'm creating at either sunrise or sunset, so, you know, best parts of the day. And it's just a powerful space to be in because I pop in my headphones, you know, I listen to music and I can just get into being creative and just being myself and, and feeling really just happy about that. And with that, I mean, it's it's really interesting hearing you talk about that space being your safe place, you know, somewhere where you really can be yourself and you don't have the judgment of others, but you've chosen to share that with the world. At what point, I guess, from that initial space of, of your first creation, were you kind of like, okay, I'm ready to share. I'm ready to share this with other people. Because I, I could imagine that that could have been a challenging decision to, to want to be able to share something that's so personal. Like a lot of vulnerability as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been interested in photography and in, in recent years, love, you know, flying drones and seeing country from a different perspective. And I was sort of, you know, had a had a keen interest in sharing my view of the world. And I know that a lot of people, you know, appreciated that and valued it because it's something that they, um, you know, love to see and to, you know, have as a part of their world as well is, you know, getting out to some of these amazing places and, and just being able to yeah, take all that in because it does make us feel good ultimately. So I didn't necessarily have any hesitation in sharing my work. I probably just didn't realise the reaction that I'd get in such a positive and profound way that people were just in awe of, of what I'm creating. And it really just sort of started and this November will actually be three years to since I've created my first sand artwork and to where I am now. So it's been a crazy journey. But I remember sort of sharing that first artwork that I created and it was only small in comparison to, you know, some of the works that I do now. But people just really yeah, I think they just really enjoyed, you know, the storytelling that coexists with the natural environment and particularly from an indigenous lens of what connection to country is because it can be very different to what, you know, we see as Indigenous people to what other people might see or non-Indigenous people because they may not have the, you know, those deeper relationships with land and water, with country and, and what that means for them. So uh, I think people are naturally drawn or at least I think a lot of people are naturally drawn to Indigenous art and culture and then, you know, a lot of these people live in these areas. So, yeah, combining the two together, I, I don't think it was really a problem for me sharing it because 
I knew that other people loved it so much as well, if that makes sense. Totally. I mean, I have to say like Genevieve, our colleague at Cappy, she went and saw you speak at an event in Melbourne a couple months ago, I think. That's right. And she came back and she was like, oh my God, Thurman, you need to like talk to the salty one. You need to look at his art. She's like, it's just, just so incredible. And I remember I went on like on the website and like saw the work and it's just, there is something so striking about it. And I think at least, I mean, for all the listeners, definitely go check out Instagram and website. We'll share links. But the way that your art works with the natural environment, it's so powerful. And I think, you know, as you're speaking about how your connection to the land and incorporating that into the work, it's just, it's so, so stunning. It just works so beautifully. I personally, I guess I'm, I'm not too familiar with sand art, but I've never seen anything like that before. Well, I've discovered that I'm the only Indigenous sand artist in the country that just uses my feet to create. Really? And uses drone technology to capture and share, and, you know, tell my story. So, so the technical side of my brain couldn't help but wonder, do you get the drone to check in while you're doing the art or do you just have this instinctive nature of like what it's actually going to look like once you have the aerial view? Because you can't see the aerial view, so I was trying to figure no. out. No, it's one of those things like when I first started and it was during the, the hype of COVID and a lot of people, you know, were obviously homebound and couldn't really do much or had limited, you know, time and space and what they could do. So for me, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I live close enough to the coast where I can go down to the beach and really just, you know, process what was going on in my own world for my family and for the rest of the world. And I use, you know, salt water as a method of healing. And, but it only, yeah, you know, November 2019 is when I sort of got into it. And then COVID really started to impact the world in Australia and particularly in Victoria. But I had this little outlet. I had this little outlet that allowed me to get out and just, cause I, I couldn't do all the consultancy, you know, face to face training, business stuff, because that got squashed. So it was like, okay, what can I do? All right, you know, I've just got into this sand art practice. Let's just go with it. And it just allowed me to get out and just really, yeah, just get into this creative world that I've never really experienced. So on one hand, you know, yeah, I was suffering for a lot of people, but for me, I was able to, you know, I was still having to deal with a lot through COVID. It obviously impacted me and my family and our community significantly, but I had this little outlet that I could get into and it was just a, yeah, just a blessing in disguise, I think, because it allowed me to get creative, try different techniques. Yeah. Just really think about storytelling. And, you know, at the start, I wasn't really fussed because it wasn't necessarily, you know, someone putting it up on their wall. So I didn't really need to check in and see what was happening with the end result or the artwork and the progress of it. I was just going out there and just getting lost in it. But eventually it got to a point where, okay, people are actually really keen on this stuff and want it, you know, maybe in their homes or in their offices. So I don't so much now, you know, stress too much about what I'm creating because it takes me out of that space. Okay, if I have to stop and put up the drone, it's like I have to stop what I'm doing and stop what I'm thinking about and that energy flow just 
is, is halted. So as much as I know I need to create something special and unique and, you know, something that I'm going to be proud of, and trying to find the balance between, yeah, just getting creative and doing what you do, but, you know, trying to get that end result as well. Trust the non-creative to ask the question. <laughs> Devin's like, I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, it, it's funny because I was thinking the same thing because I was like, what if a dog runs through, you know? Or what if you like, you make a left and you're like, oh, I should have made a right, you know? Like, yeah. and they, they seem so massive at scale where it's, I guess it's like, I guess it's, it's the thought of like, it's as good as you want it to be, you know? Like, you're doing it for yourself at the end of the day. Yeah. And so... Yeah, I've had... You know, because of the scale, and like the drone can be sometimes, you know, 60, 80. Legally, I can only go to 190 metres above where I am. So you won't necessarily see some of those, you know, mistakes or things that I've done. And I can sort of... You know, if I draw a line in the sand, I can pull that sand back over it and sort of go over it again if I need to. So, yeah, I've discovered some techniques and there's been a lot of, yeah, just getting into it and learning about even sand consistency. And, you know, I can't create on hard sand where the, where the water's all right out, where some sand artists with rakes and other tools like to get creative in. I can't create in a really soft sand because, you know, it's labour intensive and it's quite, yeah, the, the lines don't necessarily come through as strong as what I need them to. So it's sort of in the middle, sometimes where the water would come up, you know, when it's high tide and then it's gone out, but I'll, I'll just jump in that section where it's sort of gone out. And when, when you get into that bit of sand, it's, it's like a, you know, hot knife through butter sometimes. It's you just creating and it just feels so good. So <laughs> there's a fair bit that goes into it now. And obviously working with the tides and, you know, country and, and what's going on in an environmental sense. Had a lot of rain recently in Victoria. That's, you know, pushing a lot of water down some of those rivers and creeks, which is, yeah, changing the environment. You know, if you look out in the bay in, in Melbourne at the moment, you'll see it's quite you know, brown and discoloured with all that rain that's coming through the river system. So it's being conscious of what's happening out of country as well, which is, yeah, there's lots to go into it. Yeah, and I guess it's like, I mean, just even you kind of noting that of like what goes on out of country, it is so wild to think how the country that we're in now can be affected by the actions of people in other countries countries you know like the way even that our our world is warming and the environmental impacts and it is you know it is wild to think you know obviously there's the things that we do that affect our environment but also there's people that we'll never see that are affecting our country as well which is just so so crazy to kind of wrap your head around yeah and then when it comes to i guess sharing the art whether through conversation or exhibitions or as Thurman said before our colleague heard you at a at a talk i guess what what's the message that you're trying to to land and i guess second to that how have you found it to be rewarding in terms of the interactions you're having yeah there's so much that's come from it and you know, I like to describe it as I feel like I'm riding a horse with no saddle at times where it's just like a wild ride, you know. 
you know, initial response from people is that they're just in awe and love the creativity, the connection, the storytelling, and yeah, the the art and what I'm doing in that space is, is what I've found in a roundabout way. Like I said, I've you know previously been working in consultancy and working with people, you know, in their businesses and offices and looking at cultural awareness from an educational point of view. And that you know, has been really important and powerful work. But I feel like I'm sort of doing that in a roundabout way now, but in such a, you know, way more cool and funkier way, educating people about Aboriginal history and culture and you know, people are coming into my world wanting to know more, obviously. And, you know, if I can help people understand you know, who I am, what's important to me, you know, share my culture, share my art, then I'm doing exactly what I'm doing, you know, in my, from my previous work, but in a totally different way. And I think that's what I love about this. It's, it's educational as well. It's not just, you know, what you see on the wall isn't just a pretty picture. Like there's so much that goes into it and that's what I think people are loving about it and valuing the most is, yeah, the storytelling and, you know, they, they get to step into Indigenous person's world when they, you know, interact with me or when they purchase my work or when they engage with my business. So that's what I really, I think, I value about it as well. It's so cool, I guess, like from the, the visual perspective, like, in a way, not to say it, but it, I mean, it is an entry into a much greater conversation, but done almost through a window, I suppose, where people can see something, it can, you know, pique their curiosity to, to get more of the story and be able to speak with you and kind of hear more. And it's really cool to hear that, you know, like even recently, like showing in New York to be able to take what you do to an international audience as well. Yeah. It's probably one of my biggest achievements, I think, so far and only three years into it. Sometimes, you know, people say, you know, you've got to pinch yourself. It's like crazy. How is this all happening? Like, but yeah, just to be able to know that, you know, what I'm doing is of value to people. And, you know, I think Indigenous people have been suppressed and oppressed for so long. You know, too often we find ourselves just, you know, at this really low level and often we don't get those opportunities to be up there, you know, with the top dogs, you know, mixing with, you know, some some other people that are doing some incredible work, but we should be up there. You know, why shouldn't I be there at New York Fashion Week? The only thing that's stopping me from doing that sometimes is my own beliefs so i love that how this has also pushed me in a in a real you know deep personal way to say no you know you can be up there you can do that why can't you do that and what comes with that is you know not only my family my three boys will see that my son just did a, a biography project on me at school the other day, which, you know, really blew me away. Like, that was just, you know, really got me in the heart there. But, you know, there are the next generation of young people coming through that I hope can be inspired by, you know, artists like myself that can just look up and think, wow, you know, if that's what 
he can achieve. Why can't I do that? So that's probably the biggest driving force behind me really trying to push the boundaries with what I'm doing is, yeah, I can, you know, go to New York. I can be involved in New York Fashion Week. I can, you know, be working with companies now that are, you know, wanting to send me back to my own country, you know, in the Kimberleys to create artworks. You know, there's so much that can be achieved through this. And I think this is just the beginning in a lot of ways. It's so cool to hear. And it's funny, I listen to the news like pretty much 24 hours a day. I've heard, I've heard. Yeah. I almost think you like a like a like an earpod in just all the time. I do. I mean, sometimes it drives me crazy in the office that we're listening to music because I'd rather have the news on. Just be careful what you're listening to, yeah? Oh, very. I mean, I have like, I check like three or four news sources. I want to get all, all the angles. <laughs> but I was listening to the BBC and they were talking about the new prime minister, Richie Sunak. And they were talking about the importance of having somebody of East Asian descent as the leader of the country. One of the journalists was speaking and he said, you know, you, you can't understand the importance of... He was from East Asian descent. as well. He said, you can't understand the importance of having somebody rise to that level. He's like, for me as a child, I just wanted to be a bank manager. He's like, because in my community, the person that was most like me at their most successful was the bank manager. Yeah. And he's like, so I grew up wanting to be the bank manager because he's like, that's what I thought I could get to. Yeah. And he's like, now I'm a journalist having this you know, conversation about the prime minister of the United Kingdom. But he was saying, you know, it, it is really important to be able to have people that look like you, speak like you in these positions because it, it, the level of inspiration that it brings to the community is just unfathomable. Yeah. There's a saying that, you know, is pretty common in, in our community is you, you can't be what you can't see. And, you know, people aren't seeing, you know, some of our, our, our role models and, you know, our creative artists and our elders and whoever it might be, you know, do some really deadly things out there, then, you know, what are they going to be aspiring to do? Um, not to say that, you know, everyone's going to follow in my footsteps and you know be a sand artist but i just hope that yeah it might intrigue someone to maybe be creative and i think that's probably one of the things that i've found as well you know, throughout 37 years of living yes i've had these creative outlets but they've been these outlets they haven't been my soul force and, and passion and now you know at 37 years old or three years ago i'm 34 years old you know i've stepped into that power and I've made it something that, um, yeah, it's been obviously a big part of my life now. So that's the other thing is uh, in, in an entrepreneurial sense, you know, often we'll have these goals and ambitions and we'll want to aspire to do things, but we might just stop because of the fear of actually stepping into that. So I just gave it a crack and, you know, had to learn a lot, had to push my own, you know, mental boundaries a lot. You know, the, you've got the, no, you can't do this, tapping on the shoulder, you know, syndrome. And then the other one saying, come on, just keep going. So, yeah, there's those challenges that you face as well. One thing that I always wonder from, like, the artist perspective, you were saying, like, three years ago, you've stepped into this power and it's, you know, really become your full focus. And I think for a lot of people that are outside of art, 
they think, ah, oh, being an artist is such a carefree life. You just go out to the beach at sunrise, you know, you do your thing, you take a photo and then people fall in love with you. You're on a gallery, you go to New York. Obviously, it's not as easy as that, but, you know, are there things that stress you out? Are there pressures in your work or is life just groovy all the time? <laughs> it's not just, you know, that pretty picture that you see. As much as I, you know, would like to get to that point where I'm, yeah, being able to go out and create a lot, as you would know, you know, being in business and particularly your own business is a, is a real battle, you know, having to find time to do all those things and often you're wearing all these different hats uh, in business. So knowing your own strengths that come with that and then knowing your areas of improvement as well. And yeah, certainly a learning curve. I, I know I do, I create art really well and I'm able to connect with an audience really well and I'm able to, I think, market myself really well, but there's business administration, financial things that you know I don't do really well so there's so much that comes with, with running a business and, and putting yourself out there and uh, I'm really grateful that yesterday I, I just spoke with someone that might be my manager so that's going to free me up so much more <laughs> oh I need someone to manage my life as well <laughs> but hearing you speak about that I'm like god all the business admin stuff just I don't ever want to do it ever yeah <laughs> Emma likes business admin, though. On the other hand, I could do it. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I love a spreadsheet and I'm an accountant by background. So, oh, just yeah. can't help it, you know? Yeah. My top strength is how organized I am and how much I love planning, which is so simple. And when it comes to, I guess, looking ahead and the horizon, like, have you had a chance to, after the three years, take stock and go, okay, what does, you know, What's next? What's the what's the outlook look like? No, I probably haven't had a chance to just maybe sit and think about, you know, where where it's all at. And I think that reflection is important just to, like you said, take stock of, you know, what what has come from the last three years and maybe what the future holds. And but uh, you know, being able to have a manager and someone that's has a focus big on, step. yeah, strategic direction. I think will. Yeah, just get me to think about that a bit more. I mean, I've done some pretty big things and, and things that I'm really proud of in the last three years, you know, from winning a national NADOC award, which is probably, yeah, would probably be one of the greatest achievements I'd have to say so far. So national NADOC is obviously a, a week where we celebrate the history and culture of Indigenous peoples in Australia and the national NADOC awards are like that the big awards for this country. So, you know, to be up there with the likes of our dearly beloved Uncle Jack Charles, who recently passed away, who's, you know, was received the award of Male Elder of the Year and Annie Lois Pilo, a Female Elder of the Year and, you know, an incredible uh, group of other uh, award winners was just amazing. So, you know, to have that, to go to New York, be involved in Fashion Week, and to be working on some really cool projects uh, across, you know, Victoria and Australia, you know, there's so much potential for it to grow and just become something really special. And uh, I don't really know what that is at the moment. I think, you know, I love just getting out and creating for myself as well and being true to, you know, who I am and 
what got me to where I am today and not losing that as a part of what I do. But there, there are some interests out there with people that want to work with me and do some pretty cool things as well. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped to see what the next 12 months holds and, and beyond. And of course, opening my own gallery later this month, later next month. So yes, yes, congratulations! Yes. That's huge. Yeah, going to have some happy crew here to help me celebrate. A thousand percent. For sure. <laughs> I feel like you have the entire Cappy team trying to get there. So careful what yeah. you careful what you Sometimes wish for. Sometimes you have to do like a what do you call it? Like a almost like a ra- like a raffle, like a bingo type yeah. thing. Because there's like everybody wants to go, but. Yeah. No, I think that's amazing. And you said you listened to Elise's podcast and I felt, you know, when people are truly following their passion and doing what they love, often sometimes the business plan isn't needed because it just keeps falling into your lap and you're so open to opportunity and you're so clear on what your message is and what you're sharing that I just love how that it almost all falls into place. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed that part of the podcast that you had when you're talking about that and, you know, sometimes you feel, I don't know, maybe not as in a business sense, like, okay, I haven't done a business plan. So should I be a business owner? Like, you know, there's this real defined sometimes line on what, what you are and what you aren't. And I'm certainly not someone that, you know, plans and, you know, runs a, a business like some other people out there do. And I can appreciate all the hard work and dedication that they do in regards to that stuff. But yeah, like you're saying, sometimes it's just about you've got your passion. Mm-hmm. You, you know who you are, you know what you do, you know how to do it. And then everything will just fall into your lap because of that. And that's yeah. cool as well. Like, There's probably less people walking around as their true self every day but they have a plan but they're not their true self so i go i vote for the be your true self yeah or they have they have a plan to become their true self yeah on that i guess like in terms of the journey that you've had so far one of the biggest i guess at least for people that listen to the podcast they really want to know you know who inspires our guest are there you know are there any people that along the way or currently whether it's a person, a brand, an artist that really inspires you or has been important on your journey? Yeah, this is, you know, an interesting question and one that I often think about, you know, there's definitely been people throughout my life that, you know, they may not have been there or have been there for the whole journey, but it's a particular moment where you can remember and you think, oh, shit, that's right, you know, such and such said this and that sort of just stays with you. But... I probably uh, the one, uh, there's a few I'd have to say. One being my mother. She was a part of the stolen generation, so she was removed as a young person. Yesterday she turned 68 years old, which was incredible in her life. You know, I haven't been involved in her life much and because of the effects of transgenerational trauma and, and you know, we look at you know, Australian history and what that meant for a lot of our communities and our people and particularly for my family, it uh, you know, has resulted in a lot of our, our mob, yeah, being traumatized by those experiences of being removed as a young person and not being able to be with their family and everything that came with the assimilation policies and, you know, what happened during that time. So my mother was a part of that. And, you know, if I think about her journey and what she's experienced, but to still be 
hope to have done what she's done and to be who she is. I think that's remarkable. You know, there's, for me, she's would have to be my greatest hero, you know, because of what she's been through. So my mother, um, definitely. And then I grew up away from country. So I grew up away from uh, Western Australia. I grew up down in southwest Victoria in a place called Warrnambool on Gunditjmara country. And that was a really, yeah, big culture shock to me and my family. And my dad obviously took on the responsibility of growing, you know, having to be there and grow you know, helped me grow up as a young person. Um, so dad was, you know, he took on that role as a single father as well and um, stepped into, yeah, you know, that role, which I'm forever grateful for. And then in a cultural sense, because my dad's non-Aboriginal, he couldn't, you know, give that to us for me and my sister to learn about. So we grew up in a you know, strong Aboriginal community um, down at Warrnambool and felt like, you know, I was one of, one of their people growing up there because they just wrap their arms around you and they bring you in and you're like, no, you know, it's all right. We know you're mobbed. We know you're one of us and, and that's all that matters. So, you know, people like Jamie Thomas, who was like my cultural mentor, he taught me a lot about culture and getting into dance and, you know, stepping into your power as an Indigenous person, not being shy of it, being proud and strong. And that's really stuck with me all these years. And an elder by the name of... Um, Uncle Rob Lowe, who's, you know, just been, yeah, an, an inspirational person for life that he's lived, but always giving back and sharing and just being that person there to comfort you and guide you and support you throughout your life. So they're just a few that, you know, I'd have to say, yeah, really stand out for me. It's amazing. I mean, it's always, that's always one of those tough questions of like, you know, how can you tell all the about all those people that have had such an impact in such a short amount of time. I feel like there's we could probably have an entire podcast where you talk just about their inspiration. Yeah. Well, I feel like we've had such a beautiful chat. I mean, honestly, I can't wait to come out to the gallery. I feel like I just want to continue to chat with you a bit more about your work. I would love to be able to see the creative process someday. I'd love for you to be involved in it. I'd love for you to come down and create an artwork to, with me, you know, I want to hear about your oh. story and, you know, what, what both of you represent, you know, I'd love to get out and create something unique and special that's significant to your journeys and, and do that. Um, that would be amazing. I mean, funny enough, I was like, Emma and I have a meeting after we do this podcast and I was just going to be like, oh my God, Emma, we need to go hang out with you and like, have a chat. Oh, I've already got an idea too. Don't worry. <laughs> I know, I know, like I know, I know, I know. All these dots in my head. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, again, be careful what you wish for. I feel like if anyone that gets on the podcast, they're signing up for a lot more than the episode. That's what get. That's what keeps happening. So, no, that's all good. I, you know, can appreciate good company and would, uh, yeah, welcome the opportunity to have a yarn on the beach and create something special. So let's do it. I'm now ready for a yarn. Yeah. I'm now ready. Now that we've had a chat, I'm ready for a yarn. Yes. Thank you so, so, so much for joining us. It's been such a beautiful conversation. No worries. Thanks, Emma and Thurman. I really appreciate yeah, the, the opportunity to share my story and connect with both of you. So I look forward to creating that artwork soon. Thank you so much for listening to our wonderful episode with the one and only The Salty One. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give us a like or a download or a share. And tune in 
to us next week when we have the amazing Michael Ventura all the way out from New York. Author, entrepreneur, advisor, really excited to dive into that chat. So until then, ciao for now. <laughs>